I'm Julie Moore, and you're listening to Beyond Curriculum, a podcast series about something often missing from the homeschool conversation, the perspectives and values that make it possible to cultivate lifelong learners. It's the homeschool story you rarely hear, the most open and honest account I can make about something that is happening more and more frequently every day, parents teaching their kids at home. You're listening to episode two. If you didn't hear episode one, I encourage you to start there. For those of you joining me for a second time, welcome back. Let's pick up where we left off. Recently on Beyond Curriculum, Jeff and I surprised our family and even ourselves by deciding to homeschool. But things didn't go quite as smoothly as I expected. Every time we added a kid to the school table, we were reminded at a deeper and deeper level how one system, one curriculum, one approach will never effectively shape the unique qualities hidden in each of our children. I I distinctly remember you telling me, Julie, you've got to get out of the box. What was the box? Probably the way other people say it ought to be done. Like, we know what we're aiming for. So let intuition Mm -hmm. drive you forward. I was totally fine blending, like, take the good ideas in this one, the good ideas in that one, and figure out how to make our own thing, which I think is kind of where we're at now. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe what I was picking up on was some element of fear. And I'm pretty sensitive to that, for myself included. It's like, oh, I'm operating out of fear, and you have to stop that. So I made my first courageous step as a homeschool mom and climbed out of the box. But to do that for my kids, I had to face some not-so-pretty stuff in myself first. For most of my life, I have been a people-pleaser. Worse than that, as a young mom, I had this unrealistic expectation that if I were doing the right thing, everyone in my life who loved me and wanted the best for me would cheer me on. Naive, I know. I've learned that the hard way. The truth is, people do what makes sense to them, even the ones who love us. And most people expect others to do what makes sense to them, too, because it makes sense. The homeschool path is a hard one to walk for a people-pleaser. As a child, the most effective discipline was looking at me with a disapproving glance. That bounced me right back in bounds. So school was easy for me. On the first day of school, every teacher would lay out their classroom rules. Following those rules reduced disapproving glances and earned appreciative smiles instead. I liked smiles. Even among my peers, I watched for smiles. I wasn't the most popular kid in school, but I was often friends with them. No, I wasn't perfect. I went through teenage rebellion, but even that was kept in the realm of normal expectation, and I was skilled at hiding it from most people. After all, too much rebellion would draw disapproving glances. Everywhere I went, I knew what was expected, I delivered, and they smiled. Somewhere along the way, I misinterpreted the smiles as evidence that I was making good and right decisions for myself. Sometimes I was, but sometimes I was just meeting the other person's expectations. 
The first time I chose to significantly disregard those expectations was at the end of college. Jonathan was in daycare, I was pregnant with Joshua, and Jeff still had a couple of years of school to go. We had decided that Jeff would go part-time to work more, and I would stay full-time to complete school as quickly as possible. So that meant I finished my bachelor's degree and had enough time to get through my master's before Jeff finished. Completing a master's degree was the next step for my plan to become a French horn professor. So, as I was wrapping up my last semester, I began the application process for master's work. It's what I was expected to do. But one day, driving with Jeff back to Abilene from a weekend visit to our family, Jeff said, what if you stayed home with the boys? At first, I couldn't even make sense of those words. I had been raised by a working mom and had no expectation of being a stay-at-home mom. I thought that was only for wealthy families, a much cushier gig than I had signed on for in my mind. But as I entertained that thought for the briefest of moments, it was as if the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders and I could breathe. This was a good plan, I thought, a wholesome and responsible decision. And I expected smiles. I got some, except from a few music professors, mostly women. They couldn't understand why I was willing to waste my talent like that. So naturally, I second-guessed myself. After all, these were teachers, and I had been taught that teachers were to be trusted and obeyed. Thankfully, a conversation with my friend and fellow music student, Michelle, snapped me out of the bewilderment with a simple retort. What? Should only the stupid, untalented moms stay at home with their kids? Michelle helped me realize, perhaps for the first time, that life decisions are not always black and white, right and wrong. We have to be clear on what we're aiming for, and this is a value sort. I had a value for becoming a horn professor, and to do that, the music professors were right. I should complete my master's degree. But Jeff and I shared a higher value of taking care of our family to the best of our ability. And to do that, I should stay home with our children. These early formative years in their lives would go by so quickly, and we wanted to be the ones to shape who they were becoming. Um, we, we primarily wanted to homeschool so that we could guide our children's growth and development. Mm -hmm. they're, as they grow up, we want to raise them. Mm -hmm. And if they're spending two-thirds of their time at a school, mm -hmm. no matter how awesome the school is, no mm -hmm. matter how awesome the teachers are and their peers, mm -hmm. that school and those peers and those teachers end up kind of raising them. Right. And we want to raise them. Right. <laughs> and so I just don't feel ready at five years old to ship them out. This is Laura. She's one of those young homeschooling moms who occasionally picks my brain for ideas and input. More than that, we've had the privilege of becoming friends over the past 11 years of doing life together, mostly in our church. Laura is a talented writer and illustrator. She just finished illustrating a children's book shortly after helping to write a feature-length film 
that her husband, Brian, who was in video and production, helped produce. Both of them have been very instrumental in the development of our secondborn, Joshua, as a videographer. Together, Brian and Laura just launched their own production company. They have four kids, ages five, four, two, and almost one. And they've just started their homeschool adventure with Tim, their oldest. We're both busy moms, but we managed to find some time to catch up over breakfast one Saturday morning. You probably have a little bit different experience, I'm guessing, than maybe the typical new homeschooler because, you know, Brian was homeschooled, so your in-laws are very pro. Are pro homeschool. Um, your your big brother is pro homeschool, you know, um, so you're not the first one then to make this decision yeah. to your parents. So you probably have some support, but my guess is you could end up with too many people wanting to give advice, maybe? Have you had to start navigating any of that? Um, I have not had that. I really like a lot of input, uh-huh. and I don't feel too bad to get input and then not do it. That was not me at her age. How I wish it had been. In June, Brian's mom. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. We have such a good relationship. She does not, she has never been like forceful or she's had thoughts and she's offered thoughts, but it's never been in a boundary crossing kind of way. I had one friend that she decided to homeschool and um, her mother-in-law started giving her all kinds of textbooks. Like, like high school textbooks, even like in the mix, like just started giving her like all these textbooks that it was clear that it was expected that this is how she would homeschool. Wow. I was like, oh, baby. To be clear, this is not me doing the I'm asking for a friend thing. That really was a different friend's experience. And I was very thankful that was not me that time. Oh, my. <laughs> Yeah. No, nothing like that. That's good. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Yeah, because I would <laughs> like, I, I've, I think being at Hope has been great to help me learn how to say thank you, but no. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, thankfully nothing like that has happened. I, I have gotten the crazy eye several uh -huh. times from people because they know we have four kids who are stair steps. And they're like, you have four kids back uh -huh. close together. And, and you're, you're not, doing what? And you're homeschooling? Right. Aren't you ready for a break? Right. As I'm talking with Laura, I think back to those early days when a normal conversation with a friend or family member took a sudden turn. Typically, I had just shared some new idea or insight I was excited about implementing in our homeschool adventure and it was met with an unanticipated response that would send me spiraling. I've learned over the years that I'm built to be something of a trailblazer. I tend to be pretty entrepreneurial. I rarely accept the notion that the way it has always been done is the way it should be done. And I enjoy innovation, creating systems, and trying out new theories and ideas. Unfortunately, my experience taught me that many times, these personality characteristics draw the glances rather than the smiles. 
On more than one occasion, I've been asked, why can't you just do things the way they're done? So I had a hard time moving forward until I had won the approval, the smile I thought I needed as confirmation that I was making a good choice. Many times, the movies that resonate deepest in our hearts are the ones that put forth a hero with which we can closely identify. For me, some of those stories include Brad Pitt's character in Moneyball, Flick in A Bug's Life, and Punchinello in You Are Special. I'm trusting you are probably familiar with the first two, but perhaps you don't know the story of Punchinello. Written by Max Lucado in the late 90s, You Are Special is a beloved children's book that I can't tell you how many times Jeff and I have read to our children over the years. In fact, it's still on our shelf, now waiting for the day when we will get to read it to our grandchildren. For dramatic effect, I'm enlisting the help of the YouTube channel Young Praise, who delightfully reads this story. Because story time isn't story time without a foreign accent and some background music. Without further ado, I give you scenes from You Are Special. It's the story of the Wemmicks, small wooden people who were carved by a woodworker named Eli. The workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes, and some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver, and all lived in the village. All day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of grey dot stickers. Up and down the street, all over the city, people spent their day sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Do you recognize the stars and dots? We give them every day as smiles and glances. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of these. Okay, so I'm not exactly Punchinello. I was actually one of the Wemmicks who learned how to get mostly stars. But it is the lesson Punchinello learns that connected the dots for me in my real life. No pun intended. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden, and her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. As you can probably guess, Punchinello wants to be like Lucia. And I had had enough glances that I did too. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go and see Eli. Eli, 
Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you find out yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the Wemmick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. Of course, Punchinello, like most of us in his situation, was hesitant to go meet with Eli. He expected more of the same. Glances. I, I mean dots. But eventually he did. And Eli delivers the message of the story. Eli stooped down and picked him up and sat him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the grey dots. Looks like you have been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think. And I think you are pretty special. Eli and Punchinello talk for a while longer before Punchinello turns the conversation to the difference with Lucia. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. I was with Punchinello. I didn't understand. Not fully. I mean, I got the part about paying attention to what matters most to me. That connects back to the value sort I mentioned earlier. Although, those simple words of wisdom, the stickers only stick if you let them, was a lot harder to put into practice than a children's book portrays. Shocking, right? It wasn't until much later that I realized there was a hidden message in the story of Punchinello. As a Wemmick, he wasn't just a victim of stars and dots. He was also a participant, a perpetrator, by giving stars and dots. The story never shows him doing that, but the narrator tells us at one point, A few times he went outside, he hung around with other Wemmicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. So it's not a far stretch of the imagination to think he had probably given some stars and dots in his time, too, to make himself feel better. What difference does this make? In his book, Boundaries, Henry Cloud explains that when we judge others, we are saying that we know best how they ought to do something. And usually, that means they ought to do it the way it makes sense to us. Just to be clear, we're not talking about issues of right and wrong. We're talking about preferences. And a lot of us have a hard time telling the difference between the two. The point Dr. Cloud makes is that if we are in the habit of condemning others over their preferences, we naturally assume that they are doing the same to us. 
So we set up this negative, fear-based cycle for ourselves. Sometimes we call it fear of man or people-pleasing, and it hurts us and those around us. When I read that, it nailed me right between the eyes. I know I can be a very judgmental person, and that causes me to set up that negative cycle for myself, which leads me to try to only secure the smiles, whether that means defending my choice until I win the person over to my way of thinking so that I receive a star rather than a dot, or sometimes it means that I let an out-of-the-box opportunity pass me by because I might receive disapproving glances if I don't succeed. The more that I reflected on this concept, the more clearly I could see the importance of homeschooling. Actually, the importance of school choice. It's the freedom for parents to choose for themselves what their children need in the way of education and life in order for them to become well-adjusted, productive adults in the next generation. It seems like such a simple and obvious concept, but the reality is that as long as I let the sticker stick, I am easily controlled by fear. As Americans, we have been trained for several generations now to trust the experts who are supposed to know more than we do about how we should live our lives. And as a homeschooler, I know that I still have a chance of earning stars and avoiding dots if I stick to the public school scope and sequence, adopt the common core, run on the same school schedule, have my kids participate in standardized testing every year, and to make sure we don't look bad, teach to the test as well. I'm tempted to push my kids who are gifted in language but not math to do more math and not so much language, or vice versa. So they are quote-unquote well-rounded. I'm not talking about compliance with the law. Depending on the state you live in, some of these limitations are legal requirements, and you should absolutely adhere to the law of your state. But those are not legal obligations in Texas, and more often, I am tempted to work really, really hard to make sure we look like everybody else. To outperform them, but to look like everybody else as we do so. And that is a waste of the gifts each of my children are. This is such an important point that I can't do it justice in the wrap-up of one episode. I will elaborate on it much more as we go further into the season, starting with episode four. Until then, it is enough to be aware that we must exercise the courage to guide and train and educate and coach our children and we must restrain our tendency to judge the way others accept that same responsibility. Perhaps a quote from the preface of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis summarizes it best. When you have reached your own room, be kind to those who have chosen different doors and to those who are still in the hall. If they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. That is one of the rules common to the whole house. Before we give you scenes from the next episode, we have some thank yous and some announcements. If you are enjoying Beyond Curriculum, will you consider telling two friends about the podcast this week? You can share episode one from my website, www.beyondcurriculumpodcast.com. 
or my Facebook page at Beyond Curriculum Podcast or Twitter at Curriculum PDCST. That's podcast without the vowels. Beyond Curriculum can also be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. While you're there, drop me a note and say hello. I'd love to meet you. Help to create this episode was provided by Laura Hobbs, Jeff Moore, and Lydia Wong. Jeff Moore provided original music and helped produce the episode. Special thanks to Laura Hobbs for allowing me to record our breakfast conversation. Coming up, what does a supportive husband role really look like in a homeschool family? Adelaide, my daddy once told me, because no matter who you get married to, you wake up married to somebody else. It's probably true, and you take it the way the dice falls. But a guy doesn't want to feel from the very beginning that he's just like a piece of dress material a woman's going to cut up and sew according to the way they wear husbands this year. That's next time on Beyond Curriculum. <laughs>